I'm Julie Swenson, Managing Director of Forward Theatre Company in Madison, Wisconsin. And I'm Mike Fisher, theatre writer and critic and dramaturg. I'm Jen Alpoff Gray, Founder and Artistic Director of Forward Theatre Company. And this is Theatre Forward, a twice-monthly conversation about theatre from a local, regional, and national perspective. From Madison to Manhattan, we're excited to share insight into our own company while exploring issues surrounding theatre in the Midwest and around the country. Welcome to episode 71. 71. Where I'm actually looking at both of you live. Yes. (laughs) And in this episode, we are going to look back on 2021, what a year it has been, and we'll maybe even look a little ahead to some of our uh, exciting things for 2022. Um, But I I have to say, and I'm going to be really excited to see where the two of you um, go in this conversation, but... When I started thinking back on 2021 and looking back on the year, this did not feel to me like the way I look back on previous years Mm -hmm. for previous episodes of this podcast, because really what this year was to me was testing and vaccinations and masks and equity safety riders to allow us to rehearse in person and the anxiety of being a producer, bringing people back together to make theater and holding our breath until the end of each uh, rehearsal and performance process until we could make it through. I will say, because I'm so darned proud of it and also just lucky, we did five in person, um, three, two were rehearsal in person and filmed five that were rehearsed, uh, sorry, all five rehearsed, three of them also performed with an audience. Um, we had no positive COVID breakouts. I would knock on this time. table, but that will hurt Scott's ears. Yeah. So I won't. Yeah. But no, I, well, metaphorically. I'm only talking, we did. Yes. I'm not saying we're going to be so lucky in 2022. As we continue. But we have completed our yes. in-person producing uh, for 2021. But the, but the stress of that, and I know you felt that too, Julie, and mm-hmm. Celia, our COVID compliance officer. I mean, every day getting up and going, I hope this isn't the day that I mean, aside from the financial and logistical implications of someone testing positive, just the feeling of responsibility mm-hmm. were someone to get sick. And so um, that constant underlying anxiety is was such a present piece of 2021 for me. Um, you know, learning how to be a filmmaker, as a director, learning how to be a filmmaker and not wanting to be a filmmaker. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. figuring out how do we create theater that feels like theater, but in the medium of digital and a film. Um, that was a huge part of this year for me. Um, the sheer relief of welcoming audiences, live audiences back for theater and how amazing that felt, but also having it be coupled with the really realistic acknowledgement that audiences are smaller right now. They just are, and it's gonna take a while to, to build back to where we were pre-COVID. So that sort of joy and, and stress at the same time. Um, and for us here at Forward, also, the the fact that that we weren't following a lot of um, uh, other companies as we were making decisions about safety, there we felt like we were always one of the earlier ones in our area to be back to rehearsing in person or to be back to producing in front of an audience. Um, you know, one of the first companies, not the one of the first companies in the state to be back in rehearsal with an equity safety rider and the first company producing back in Overture Center for the Arts, our home for an audience. And so we, I felt like we had to make 
decisions, public health related decisions constantly. Um, and that, that feeling of being out on a limb um, and that constant, like, are we doing the right thing here? It feels like the right thing, but we aren't sure. We're not following a well-trodden pathway. Um, you know, uh, I got called in, a, you know, on one Facebook post, I got to be called both a Nazi and a communist <laughs> for announcing that we were going to require our audience members to be vaccinated when we returned to production. In the same fall. post? Uh, by different people. Oh, different okay. people. Okay, uh, got it. And I will say it wasn't in response to one of our posts. It was in response to a news story because we were, again, the first in the area to require proof of vaccination for an audience for a live event. And they were not from our audience members. They were just, you know, from right. folks in the community who um, uh, did that. And honestly, it, it amused me more than it alarmed me. Um, but it was an example of how just kind of out on that limb this whole year. Jen, I'm so felt. glad you started uh, started like that because so often we're in our, what, 70-something episode. And we've done, you know, look back and the wonderful things we've seen and, and what we've done and what has impacted our lives. And, um, you know, 21, yeah, was the end of one year where it was all digital. And then we went into audience. But there wasn't enough time and Mike will Mike will make up for my saying this I didn't feel like I saw enough theater I was <laughs> I was testing and doing all of those things you articulated so that it feels like that's what we did in 21 yeah and certainly I saw performances that were wonderful and I have to say that um, we like like a lot of people brought back the play that that got lost in the middle of a pandemic mm -hmm. when we got to finally produce the amateurs in front of a live audience and bring back most of the artistic team, that felt really good. Mm -hmm. And I see that with other companies too, like this, they just, they don't wanna let go of this, of this precious story. These stories that they wanted to tell are now being told and that feels great. But the hoops, um, have been um, arduous and um, it made me sad, honestly, to um, do that three times a week testing for the actors and how quickly they can do those tests. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like it's just, it's it, like having a conversation and, and being able to just count to the six drops. <laughs> and I thought, oh, this is not, this isn't something that I want you to be proficient at, but <laughs> We did it, yeah. and we will continue to do it. Yeah, and I don't, you know, as, as somebody who is in that testing bubble and is a much bigger spaz than any <laughs> of those actors and never got completely comfortable with the whole thing, I just, you know, it's ridiculous that we live in a country where that kind of testing isn't available, you know, when you walk in a door in any Thanksgiving or holiday gathering um, this year, the way it is in Europe, where governments are providing these, this, this, these tests for free. They should be doing that here, too. I think it's awesome that those tests existed. I know you're not saying it mm -hmm. wasn't, Julie. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I'm OK with that. T to me, you know, I saw 55 plays in 2020 in the 10 weeks before things closed. I'm mm -hmm. going to be close to 70 by the end of this year for 2021. So the years have been 20. 20 and 2021 have been bookended for me. And I feel, I, you know, I'm not trying to the way the two of you are 
you know, keep this ship afloat, even though I get sort of vicarious sense of how hard that is. So it feels pretty close um, in inside theaters to normal for me. It sort of started in a way where we were having to adjust to all the protocols. Mm-hmm. Yes, some of the audiences, particularly in the early going, were smaller, but I'm seeing a real change in that. I saw audiences at the Milwaukee Rep. Um, you know, sell out at when I saw the uh, the Packers show, uh, Matt Zembrowski's Packers show upstairs, dad season tickets um, as full a house as I've seen midweek in the powerhouse for uh, Steel Magnolias, as I can recall in the last three or four years at Milwaukee Rep. Um, just Saturday, I was at the Paramount uh, Theater, uh, Paramount Theater in Aurora uh, for Cinderella. And that's a huge, huge old time um, theater. It was completely packed, nice. and you had all the little girls with their, you know, their their blue uh, <laughs> uh, dresses and the whole thing. It felt like it had the same sort of holiday feeling that I can recall from before the pandemic. And it made me feel, and yes, we of course all had masks on, and yes, you had to present a vaccination card to get in the door. But those things have become. If you go to enough shows, at least for me, the experiences, I sort of forget about that. I'm even mm-hmm. at the point where I'm forgetting when I'm sitting through a show, when I'm seeing as many as I am, that I'm wearing a mask. And I'm get, I'm very close to feeling the kind of love and comfort being surrounded by other people that I felt from before. So I think we're I think we're close on that. And I think as more people have more theater under their belt, that's going to become more of the experience that everybody everybody has remembering what it was like before yeah and coming back and feeling yeah, comfortable yeah, to come back right mm-hmm. and we saw that we saw from first show to second show this fall this yeah. fall what a difference mm-hmm. of yeah. the audience yeah so of the shows that um you know i, I it's hard not to talk about our own show since it's hard for me not <laughs> yeah, to think about it. Yeah, you don't need to. <laughs> the amateurs is the greatest thing ever. <laughs> but putting that aside, um, in terms of things either on screen or live in mm-hmm. 2021, are there things that stand out, anything that stands out for either of you, either because you thought they were wonderful or just because of where you were emotionally in this journey back to quote-unquote normal? It just felt like a, a defining moment in some way. I mean, for me... Because I, I was thinking about this in preparation for this conversation, and it's not so much a particular production, um, but when you phrase it that way, defining moments, there are a couple of things that I think really are going to stick with me from 2021, not related to what it's been like producing theater or directing theater during a pandemic. I mean, one um, is the way I observed artists um, and a time when there's so much focus on the limitations of power and influence that artists have, which we felt very keenly aware of. I've also seen artists using what power and privilege they do have in really inspirational ways. I'm thinking about Jeremy O'Harris and the way he leveraged um, the threat to pull slave play from its LA premiere in order to advocate for more women writers. Um, The way Dominique Moriso um, pulled her play uh, also from uh, the LA area in response to um, what she saw as unsatisfactory conditions to protect those artists. We've commented before that it does seem to be the artists of color who lead the way, and and that is frustrating, but it is also 
God, it's inspiring. Um, and I think we are going to see more and more of that going forward. And that is that is going to really stick with me, those examples from this year. I also think something that I will always remember is the outpouring of grief and love throughout every single corner of the theatrical universe with the passing of Stephen Sondheim. Mm -hmm. um, you know, watching all those singers gathered in Times Square to sing Sunday together, um, you know, the weekend after his passing, um, all of the remembrances being posted online, the articles, just the, just the excuse to go back and listen to so many um, cast recordings. Uh, it, it really made our theater community feel like a community again. Mm -hmm. um, so those are a couple of those yeah. those moments for me. And what's come out of that too is this, what a mentor Stephen Sondheim was to so many people. I mean, I just, you know, I watched Tick, Tick, Boom, and he was one of the first people persons, you know, to really advocate for Jonathan Larson. And I think that I am seeing more of that. I hope to see more. I'm seeing I'm seeing a little bit of the, the beginnings of feeling responsible for others, like the Dominic Morisot coming in, you know, this is not yeah. this is a harmful environment and I'm out. Um but I also think that or I'd like to think that we'll see more of this protection and also the mentoring that always needed to happen and might might be happening more. Yeah, I mean, his mentorship is legendary throughout the, the industry. And, you know, I had a couple of my own brushes with it during my, my own New York years um, on a couple projects, one that I directed myself. Um, and uh, this is back in the mid 90s and yep, he snuck into the back of the room to watch the reading, just like in Tick, Tick, Boom, mm -hmm. and how um, it sent that sort of frisson through everybody in the space. Um, and also, I was assistant director on a workshop of what was then Wise Guys before it became Bounce, before it became Gold, before it became Roadshow. <laughs> um, but yeah, be, being in space with him was feeling that you were in the presence of greatness. Uh, but at every stage of his career, it seems mm -hmm. he was giving back. And that is something I think we can all aspire to. Right. Maybe maybe it will mean going forward, if not in 2022, in the future, that somebody will actually do Roadshow. One of the things that distressed <laughs> me most about the tributes was the way in which I think a lot of people that don't know the show were sort of blowing it off as, oh, you know, this just showed he was tired and old or whatever. And it's just, that's just BS. It's a wonderful yeah. show, as Gary Griffin's production a few years ago at Chicago Shakes um, demonstrated. Um, there was a column, um, for those of who are, who are listening, was, was actually, it doesn't matter where you're listening from, because you can, you can pull this up. Um, uh, off, the, off the internet. But Paul Salcini, um, who was a longtime um, professor of theater uh, at Marquette, and before that worked at the Milwaukee uh, Journal Sentinel, um, also was the founding editor of the Sondheim Review. And he had a lovely piece in the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel yesterday about getting Sondheim's um, endorsement of going forward with this project and how he would have these long conversations with him and get these bracing notes, always ending with encouragement, having gone through, having read the issue cover to cover carefully and telling Paul all the things that they got wrong, um, <laughs> while at the same time saying, but you're on the right track, you're doing a good job. And that was vintage Sondheim. He could be critical, 
He could be harshly critical, but never in a way that was disrespectful or mean-spirited and always uh, with some encouragement and love uh, at, at the end. It's a really, really uh, great piece. We also had this last year, and I think there were three superb theater books, one of which centered around Sondheim. And, and the one that I'm thinking of is James Lapine's uh, Putting It Together, mm-hmm. which uh, uh, is about working with Sondheim uh, on Sunday. To my mind, the best Sondheim musical, but hey, you know, talk to me <laughs> tomorrow and I may have a different different view. It sort of goes that way. We also had Mark Harris's splendid uh, book this last year um, on, um, on Mike Nichols. Oh, so good. And it was just, you couldn't put it down. And then I could put this one down just because there's so much in it, but Hermione Lee's, um, biography of Tom Stoppard, which was another sort of doorstopper, was also really great. And to have three amazing books like that, those of you listening to this and looking for holiday ideas, (laughs) they're all super, super books. So, Mike, you saw many, many, many productions this year. So I'm curious uh, if there were a handful that really were your standouts that, that you're going to remember a couple of years from now. You know, it's it's funny. I've mentioned a few on uh, uh, when I had first seen them on a prior podcast. One that is going to stick with me is the Othello I saw at, at Court Theater. Mm. Um, and I sort of went over it quickly at that point, but it was uh, limited to 80 people per performance. They put people on the stage, surrounded by the actors. As I think I mentioned, cut a huge chunk of Iago's lines and invited the person playing Othello, Calvin Rostin, into every single one of the production meetings from the very beginning, sort of saying, this has been a problematic play for black men from the start. You know, how can we reframe it so that we capture some of what is in fact in the text to make it Othello's story and to better understand what it was like to take that journey with him. I thought that was, um, that one really stood out for me. And then also in Chicago, and this was a really small production um, at Theater Wit by Shattered Globe Theater, a play that I know, Jen, you've heard me rave about, but Chloe Moss's This Wide Night, um, a two-hander um, involving um, two women who have been, have served time in prison and sort of trying to understand as they try and put their lives together, the difficulties that they're up against. And I think so few plays in this country in particular really s- focus on the struggles of uh, of people who at one time were in prison or people who are very, very poor and what those experiences are like. And I valued the honesty of the performances in a very, very small space. Um, the, the vulnerability that went that with that, which reminded me of the best of what of what theater was, and then one more, and this one was online, but I just saw it, and, I, and, I, and it is a new show, the National Theater, which for my money is by far the best deal in terms of subscribing to a streaming service for theater. Um, just recently put up, and it's still available, Winsome Pinnock's um, um, uh, Rockets and Blue Lights. Um, Pinnock is a, a sort of, uh, even though she has lived her whole life in Britain, her parents were from the Caribbean. She speaks with a very powerful voice and has for a long time about what the experience is to be a BIPOC person living in a country which often gets more of a free pass than it should for somehow being better than uh, the U.S. on racial issues. And what it does is it takes um, a Turner painting which shows uh, a, a slaver going down and people dying in that moment because they were being thrown overboard um, based on a true incident and about what it's like to make a, a play about that, the ways in which you can so easily fall into trauma porn 
um, and what the experience is, it's a sort of play within a play for the, the uh, actors of color who are asked to play roles in a production like that, asked a lot of very, very smart questions of a sort that Jen, you ask all the time, and rightly so, in a really self-conscious mm. way about what are we staging, why are we staging it, what's it for. I would love to see that show done at some point in, in the U.S. It's brand new. It's really great. It's also really big. So mm -hmm. from a production standpoint, it would be expensive. Wow. Those are the ones that stood out for me. Amazing. Well, you know, as we are turning this calendar page shortly into 2022, what what has you really excited? I mean, Julie, what are you, when, when you think about this year ahead, what, what are you really excited about? I, I, I knew that Mike would go to specific. So I, I was thinking more general. Yeah. And what I'm really excited to see are the plays that come from, that don't have their New York um, debut that don't need to go to New York to do the regional circuit. And I think we're going to see more and more of that. I, there's no reason why those, the shows that are in Chicago don't just come straight up to Amen. Wisconsin. Amen. And, and they, we don't, I think we're getting further and further. Like there's the, um, Broadway is its own, um, category of theater that not everything needs to pass through. And I'm excited about that. And I'm, I know we're reading plays in the literary um, uh, committee at Forward that had their debut all over the country. And that is really exciting for me. Well, it's it's and we've done one, right? I mean, Ike Coulter's exit strategy did mm -hmm. not go to New York. It came from Chicago to here. Right. I think that it, Chicago is such a rich um, you know, seedbed of new new work. And it's a great opportunity for us to to sort of tap into that and bring some of that here. And you're right, we are looking at some of it and it's really exciting stuff. Yeah, we, we frequently do stuff that, that has not been there. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm excited to get back into the rehearsal room later uh, in spring of 2022. I mean, it's funny because I was in the rehearsal room as a director so much more in 2021 than I normally am. Typically, I would have done, you know, two of our main stage productions, one in the spring and one in the fall. But because of the way everything was impacted by COVID, I was directing or co-directing four shows this year, but always with half of my brain in COVID management and, and all of that. So um, I'm excited to have a few months off, not in the rehearsal room, to sort of really get ready for and, and excited for um, the next one I'm doing, which is uh, Russian Troll Farm by Sarah Gancher. Yay. Yeah, and, and, and excited because we're really getting a chance to work with the playwright. It had its unbelievably fabulous debut as a piece of digital theater a little over a year ago in the fall of 2020. Um, and as things just kind of turned out, we're gonna be the first live on stage production that it's had. And so that's provided some wonderful opportunities for conversation with the playwright and thinking about um, you know how how this will work on a stage with with live three dimensional humans on stage and in the audience and uh, I really I'm I'm eager to get going on that one. It feels good. Uh, right before that too is is our play The Medellinian Debate by Amy Quanberry, and so it's two shows in a row that that's a world premiere and it Amy is. will be you know the Medellinian Debate will be working with the um, you know, we're doing workshops at the end of this week. Um, so that will be an evolving play. Um, 
but it feels really good to sort of grow our own. We're yeah. growing our own these next two shows, yeah. and that is exciting. Yeah. Well, and, and of course, she will also have her third novel coming out around the time that we are opening uh, mm-hmm. in February. If you want other stocking stuffer <laughs> ideas, folks, her first two novels, She Weeps Each Time You're Born and We Ride Upon Sticks, are wonderful. So good. Make me so excited for her, her third one. I mean, some of the productions I'm looking forward to next year, I mean, I'm there's a lot of wonderful things on the APT 2022 calendar, but I'm so excited that we're going to get to see the Moors, uh, Jen Silverman's mm. uh, play with some of um, some of APT's heaviest hitters. I mean, uh, Tracy Michelle Arnold, Colleen Madden, Kelsey Brennan, Jimmy DeVita are all going to be in the cast um, for that. I'm excited to see the Titanic at Milwaukee uh-huh. Rep. It is not the sort of big bloated monstrosity um, that it is sometimes seen to be. It's not the boat. It's a musical (laughs) with a lot of great two and three person, almost chamber musical kinds of scenes. And Mark Clemens has got a pretty good track record with with musicals. And then two more that are going to open up new spaces. Uh, The Seagull, a production of The Seagull, it's Steppenwolf. It's going to open the Steppenwolf's gorgeous in the round um, space uh, with a new adaptation um, by Yasin Payankov. And then finally, also open in a new space that was supposed to open, as was Steppenwolf's last year, but couldn't. Uh, at Stratford, uh, Anthony Cimolino is going to be directing a deferred, finally happening production of Richard III in the new, also gorgeous, uh, Tom Patterson uh, mm. uh, Theater. So those are real highlights for me as I think forward, along, of course, with our shows. Of course, of course, of course, of course. <laughs> That's just a given. <laughs> that is a given. <laughs> there is... A, I, I like that we get to sort of bring this conversation around from from reflecting back to the excitement about what lies ahead, because that really is what keeps us going, right? Mm-hmm. As theater makers yes. and theater lovers and audience members, it's, there's always another play coming, and and you um, you have a, a wonderful experience, whether it's working on stage or behind the scenes or being mm-hmm. in the audience, and then you get to look forward to the next one. And, exactly uh, right. There's there really is. Uh, so much. And I'm I'm so thrilled to have been able to go through this year with both of you and with you, Scott Hayden, producing this episode. Um, and I, I can't wait to see what we'll talk about in the next, you know, few dozen episodes. I'm going to guess we'll find some things to talk about. <laughs> that is a good guess. Um, and I think we'll say that that is it for this episode of Theater Forward, a conversation about theater in Wisconsin, the Midwest and America. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Jenna Poff Gray. I'm Julie Swenson. And I'm Mike Fisher. Our podcast is produced by Scott Hayden, who you can see on stage in Russian Troll Farm, <laughs> a wonderful actor that he is. Uh, you can also follow us or share your thoughts on Facebook and Twitter. Um, or, or if you want something a little more old fashioned, you can write us. Yes, actually write us through an email at theaterforward at forwardtheater.com. Theater in both parts of that address, as always, spelled with an ER at the end of this year, the beginning of next year, and every year. <laughs> and if you enjoy this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you might tune in. And please be sure to leave a comment. We'd love to hear from you. We're very grateful to have you listening, and we will be back soon in 2022 for another Theater Forward conversation. 